We are in week three of our series that is in the Gospel of John called Dawn. Now, this word dawn, it means the first appearance of light. It's the first appearance of something. What dawn is about, dawn is about the revealing of something. It's about the unveiling of something, and it's about the discovery of something. And so specifically today, we are discovering what it means to be spiritually alive. We discover what it means to be spiritually alive. And last week, what we did is we said, many people have this belief that we have science. And science has the facts. But they also have this sense that there's a God, but they've been told that the two of those don't go together. And what we said is the two of those can, do, and should go together. But then that creates a problem for us because we say, well, it seems like there's problems in the world, there's suffering in the world, there's evil in the world. So has God created evil? And the answer is no, God hasn't created evil. Evil is a rejection of God and a rejection of what is good. But then we ended with that God is not going to leave us this way, but he's come to the world and he's come to fix the problem. So that was last week, and today we take a step forward, and we see what it means to be spiritually alive. We're going to be in John 1, verses 6 through 13. Okay, John 1, verse 6 through 13, here we go. I believe we have it on the screen. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of will of the flesh, nor will of man, but of God. So here's what we're doing today. We're going to discover four experiences that people have when they become spiritually alive. We're going to look at our longing for God. We're going to, we're going to look at our spiritual condition that we discover we're going to look at our spiritual birth and our spiritual right. Our longing for God, our spiritual condition, spiritual birth, and spiritual right. Okay. So, <laughs> our longing for God. It says that the world did not know him. Now, this word know, this is not an intellectual knowledge. This is a personal knowledge. This is a relational knowledge. So you could think of our intellectual knowledge of God like this. We come to this deserted island, and we're there, but we find a watch. And we say, okay, this watch wasn't produced by a random collection of particles, but there was a creator of this watch. But he's not here. He's not anywhere to be found. But we come to the logical conclusion that there is a creator of this watch, but we don't know him personally. It's the same thing with God. We can, looking at the world, we can make a rational and logical conclusion that this couldn't have been just a random collection of particles that, brought, that were brought together to produce the world. It is rational to say that there is a creator God. However, 
We don't know him personally. The same thing like this. I can know George Washington. I can know about him by reading books about him, but that doesn't mean I'm pers- I have a personal relationship with him. So with God, we can know God intellectually by reading the Bible, and we can know him intellectually by looking at creation. We can know there's a creator, but that doesn't mean that we have a relationship with him. And, and you look... People love to experience the world. They love to travel the world and experience creation, and I do too. But listen, it's one thing to see the world, and it's quite another to meet its creator. It's one thing to see the world, but it's another thing to know the embrace of a creator God. And what I want you to do is take a minute and look deep down within you for this desire that you have that maybe is not being filled, the sense that something is missing in your life. This guy, Blaise Pascal, he says that every single human being has this infinite abyss within them that is meant to be filled with God. And that they are searching to fill this infinite abyss with something that will satisfy them, yet they keep searching until they find God. And this void, this infinite abyss, leaves us searching for who we really are. We're like orphans, not knowing who we are because we haven't met our eternal father. So there's this kid's movie called How to Train Your Dragon. Um, By the way, if you have kids, you start watching kids' movies. Um, if, (laughs) If... I made the mistake of trying to let my kids watch adult movies, and so I was watching Lord of the Rings the other day. Cruz walked in, my oldest boy, and something came on the screen, and he just took off running down the hallway, scared the heck out of him. Um, My bad. So, but but anyways, there's this movie called How to Train Your Dragon, and it's a really it's a it's a beautiful storyline that's capturing our longing for an eternal parent. And so, this is what happens in the story. There's this young Viking boy whose name is Hiccup. And when he was an infant, his mom was killed by a dragon. And his father is this great and famous dragon killer and leader. But he's nothing like his father. And what ends up happening is he has this strong connection and love for these dragons. And eventually he convinces his, all of his people that the dragons are good, and so what happens is the whole village starts being dragon riders. Well, in the second film, his father wants him to be the next leader. And he, he doesn't think he can do it because he can't seem to figure out who he is. And so there's a scene where he's riding his dragon up above the clouds, and then this mysterious dragon rider rises up, right up through the clouds, and captures him. And then after capturing him, this, this dragon rider, this mysterious dragon rider, is watching him and seeing the connection that he has with these dragons. And so the dragon rider gets really close and notices a scar. And then the dragon rider, this mysterious figure says, no, could it be? Is it you, Hiccup? And he's completely confused. And he says, should I know you? And, and this mysterious figure says, no. 
takes off her mask and says, but a mother never forgets. Yeah, you love that story. Um, why do we love that story, though? So, wait, 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 here's what happens. All of a sudden, he finally figures out who he is. He realizes that he's made in the image of his mother, and everything begins to make sense. So why, like, you guys are tearing up from that story. That's so funny. Why does that move us so much? Because we're the same way. We are like an orphan, searching. In Genesis 1, it says that we are made in the image of God. You're an orphan, searching for your eternal father. And then once found, everything begins to make sense. Why are you working for everything and you're getting it, but you're still not satisfied? Why is there still this thing going on within you where you're saying, I don't really know who I am, or we're pushing it out because we don't want to think about it because we don't want to think about the fact that we don't know who we are? Or why, why do you keep putting hope in people and you keep feeling let down by them? Because you're going to people like an orphan and you are wanting them to be able to give you, to feel from them what only you can feel from an eternal father. Orphan, searching for a spiritual father. So then the question is, how do we find him? And that brings us to the second point, our spiritual condition. It says in another translation that not only did we not receive God, but another translation says we actually rejected God. We're grasping and we're clawing, trying to find God, and, but, but we're in a world that has rejected God, so in a sense we have kicked him out. So we long to fill this void that can only be filled by God, but we are in a world that is without God. And let me just, let me make it a little bit worse. Not only are we in a world that has rejected God, but we're told that we're spiritually dead. We are trying to find our eternal father, yet we're spiritually dead, so we don't have the capacity to find him. Physically alive, but spiritually dead, like the walking dead, we're kind of like zombies. And we, I don't know if you know this, but people have this obsession with the zombie apocalypse. Like, can this really happen? Here's what I want to say. It already has happened. And it happened when we rejected God and we wanted them out of our lives. And what happened is a virus filled humanity and it left us spiritually dead. Why do you think people are so obsessed with zombies? Okay, I'm gonna offend you. Because maybe we're not that different from them. So, okay, you're thinking, okay, this is, this is offensive. I mean, you're saying, David, you just called me a zombie just now. Um, and I get it. No one wants to look in a mirror and see a zombie because it's terrifying. But what if it's true? What if the mirror is being held up 
and you are seeing someone who's spiritually not alive. I mean, what is the logical reason for why you do feel so unalive? What's the logical explanation for these longings that we feel, but there's still a void? Why do you feel like an orphan, even though you might have great parents? And it's not that he left us, it's that we left him. So that's why we're spiritually dead. Look, just, just think about this. Being spiritually dead means being away from God. But that's what happened when we rejected him. And so that's what sin is. Sin is a rejection of God. Earlier it said in verse 5 that in him is life. And sin, think of sin this way, it's like trying to go to anything other than him for life. We're like trees that are meant to have God as our root system. So we go to all of these places other than God for life. He's meant to be the one that gives us life, to give us meaning, to give us purpose, but we're going to all of these other things. And so the Bible says, Sin leads to death, and it says sin leads to death because we are like this tree that's plugging into something that can't give us any life, so it leaves us dead. We're plugging into our jobs. We're plugging into our children. We're plugging into our parents. We're plugging into our spouse, to our love interest. But eventually... The infatuation fades. The excitement gets dulled. And we're left feeling like kind of dead inside. And one of the first things a Christian realizes in this process is that they are spiritually dead. They realize that they need a spiritual birth to make them alive, but they're stuck in a grave, unable to get out, scratching and clawing the inside of their tomb. Helpless, desperate, and in need. Unable to make themselves alive. So the Christian comes up, comes to the realization of this, this bitter yet hopeful realization that they need somebody to come for them to break them out of the tomb, to turn the lights on, to make them alive. They need God to come for them. Verse 13, this is our spiritual birth. So here's it happen. Hey, that, that was horrible, right? We're like zombies. That was horrible. This is our spiritual birth, birth. Verse 13 says that the spiritually alive person was not born of blood, nor the will of flesh or of man, but of God. The Christian has come to the conclusion that God has come for them to break them out of the grave, to wake them up, to make them human again, to turn them from Pinocchio into a real boy. St. Augustine says that God became human to make us human again. We're like Snow White who needs a kiss from the prince to make us alive. We're like the beast who needs love from a beauty to break the curse so we can be beautiful again. And once we're made alive by this king, we meet our eternal father. Verse 12, we were given the, it says, we were given the rights to be called 
children of God. Orphans made into sons and daughters. Not only receiving spiritual life, but being welcomed into this family where we have this eternal father. And what we receive is a love that is absolutely unrelenting. It is constantly pursuing like a roaring lion coming after us, always chasing. Even when we turn our back, he's coming for us. I have a, I have a friend who's a church planter down south, and he told me this story about him and his father. And when he was younger, he didn't really like his father at all. And so what he did is he wrote this letter that he was going to send to his girlfriend about all these horrible things that he thought about his father. So he wrote it, and when he went to send it, he couldn't find it, but didn't think anything of it. So then one day, his dad took him to the park and sat him down, and he reached in his pocket, and he took out that letter. And he said his heart just dropped, and then he said his dad just started reading the letter out loud. And it sounded like the most horrible words a father could hear from their son. And when he stopped reading, he said there was silence, and then he just started weeping. And my friend said in that moment, he knew that there was nothing he could do to stop his father from loving him. Nothing he could do or not do that would cause his father to stop pursuing him with this roaring, lion-like love. If the love of an earthly father could move him so much, how much more could a perfect, eternal, fatherly love move us? It's an embrace once we've experienced this embrace, it begins to change us. But here's the thing. It takes time to believe that you're actually adopted by God. It takes time to learn to stop living like an orphan. It Because it seems too good to be true. There, there are statistics and research shows that when um, a child is adopted that they'll, they'll store food under their bed because they don't really think they're going to be cared for. They think it seems too good to be true. How are you storing food in your life? How are you not sure God is going to care for you? How are you being anxious? What has got you stressed out? What has you acting more like an orphan than a son or daughter? So here's how to tell. I want to throw some things out there. I'm just going to read these to you about, okay, am I an orphan? Am I a child of God? What am I acting like? Well, here you go. An orphan feels alone while a child of God feels a growing assurance of an eternal loving father. An orphan feels condemned, but a child of God feels forgiven, accepted, and loved. An orphan sees prayer as joyless duty, while a son sees it as joyful communion with their father. Listen, listen to this. An orphan compares himself to others, which leads to pride or self-hate, while a child of God stands confidently in Christ and gains their worth from him. Okay, ladies, listen to this. Not like you struggle with this, though. An orphan gossips, 
while a child of God has no worry in confessing faults. Okay, fellas, an orphan is defensive while a child of God doesn't fear criticism. I want you to know what it means to be a child of God. It's pretty remarkable. The Bible says that we're co-heirs with Christ, which means that absolutely everything that is his, he shares with us. It is ours. And the greatest of all of it, these riches of grace, the greatest of all of it is the embrace of an eternal father who's not letting go. A lot of times people will say to me, I'm too far gone to be a Christian. I'm too much of a mess. I want you to realize that is a complete misunderstanding of what Christianity is. This is our spiritual right. It says in verse 12, our spiritual right, that the Christian is given the right to become a child of God. They are given, given the right. Did they earn it? No. It was a gift that was given to them through belief. This is very important. I think this is probably, if I'm going to make a call of what the greatest misunderstanding of Christianity is, I'm going to say this is it right here. So many people think Christianity is about following a set of rules, following a set of do's or don'ts, and that is absolutely not what it is. That isn't Christianity. So many people I talk to say, you know, I don't go to church, but God knows that I am trying really, really hard to be good. And I want you to know, God is not looking at us like there's this line of the good and the bad, and we're like, we do enough good stuff and we're in. Yay. And then we do, oh, I slipped back, I'm out, and I'm in, and I'm out. That's not how it's happening. That's not what Christianity is. God doesn't think that you're good or bad. He thinks that you're dead. But he wants to make you alive. We don't become Christians by being good. We become Christians by saying, I am giving myself over to God. I am going to trust in him and not myself. I'm going to believe that I need someone to come and rescue me out of the grave. The Christian knows that they need a kiss from a prince to wake them up. I remember in high school sitting in a Christian morality class. And about once a week, this girl would just start crying. And like no one would say anything to her. I'm like, why is anybody saying anything to her? Well, finally, the teacher said, what's wrong? And she said, you're not teaching Christianity. You're telling people that they have to follow all these rules and that they're good, and then because they're following the rules, God loves them. But if they're bad, God doesn't love them, so, so uh, they're out. And she was right, because Christianity is not about... Um, I obey so God will accept me. It's about I'm accepted by God through faith. Now I am changed to become more and more like a child of God. I'm beginning to live differently now because I've seen that there's nothing I can do to lose this love from God. The belief sealed. It's your right to become a child of God through faith in faith alone. I have a friend who was adopted 
And for the longest time, he had such a hard time not trying to earn his way into the family. The thing was, he was already in the family. He just didn't believe it. We fall into that. We think that we've got to earn our way in to call God Father. And we think God doesn't love us because of our failure, because of our sin, or because of whatever. We think we've got to earn the right to be a child of God, and I want you to know God gave up on that a long time ago. He's making Christians another way. He's making Christians through a spiritual birth of people who said, I'm in the grave and I need someone to get me out of it. And so I'm reaching and I'm believing that God has come for me. I'm relying on Christ. The key question to all of this today is how is this right ours? How do we get it? We're not earning it, so we're, we're saying we believe it. So what do we have to believe for this right to be true for us? Jesus, the Son of God, comes into the world. Now listen, Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary. Here's what happened. Mary was impregnated by the Holy Spirit. Okay, that sounds weird. Well, here's why it's essential. Here's why it's vital. Because it means that Jesus is born both of flesh and blood and of the Spirit. This is the only way. And so because of that, he is both man and God at the same time. And he experiences every single thing that we feel, that we experience, that we suffer through, yet remains without sin. And then, so he comes into the world, he comes into his creation, and his people said, to hell with him, let's kill him. And on the cross, here's what happens. On the cross is the only place where Jesus doesn't call God Father and he calls him God. And it's in that moment that Jesus is absolutely abandoned by his Father, left on the street corner, left at a fire station in the rain to die. That was all part of the plan because here's what happens. We who are orphans, he comes and he stands in his, our place on the cross so that we can stand in his place as an eternal son or daughter of God. Not earned, but this gift that is given to us. He dies so that we can live. He lays death in its grave, robs you out of the tomb. And the longing that you feel for God, he felt it a thousand billion times more, yet he was abandoned on the cross. And don't think it didn't destroy the father to do this. He probably suffered more than the son did to do this. Jesus died in your place so that you could stand in his. And the key to all of this is simply by faith we receive the right to be called children of God. You receive a love 
that you didn't deserve, but a love that is pursuing you over and over and over again. And you're running and he's chasing you down with his love like a roaring lion is chasing after you. And you don't earn it. It's a gift. It's sitting right in front of you, this present. And what we say is, God, I need to earn this. And he says, you can't. It's right here. Just take it. I mean, what child on Christmas is like, ah, I didn't earn this. That's why he says, come to me like a child. So go to him. He'll give you the desires of your heart. You'll find that you have an eternal father who loves you so deeply. So go. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you are a gracious God to us. We thank you that you have not left us on our own, but you've chased after us, you've pursued us, you've sought after us. You indeed are our lion who has chased us down, pursuing us with love. Help us believe this is true. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.